All right, I titled my sermon um, Christian Liberty or Christian Freedom. Now, I believe it is a topic that fits well in the time we are living, especially among the younger generation. People in this culture demand freedom. They want to do whatever they want and how they think they want. This mindset is certainly influencing the church of God. And guess what? What will be the first category people nowadays ask when they seek a church? It is not about the statement of faith. And it's not about the church denomination. They will ask, is this a liberal or conservative church? Now, this category doesn't even exist in 100 years ago. But nowadays, people use it everywhere. And I think we need to be equipped to understand the Christian liberty from the biblical point of view and to live based on the word of God and also teach our younger generations about the true liberty. Now, please open your Bibles to Psalm 119. Our texts for today are verse 45 and uh, verse 44 and verse 45. And just to make things a bit easier, whenever I use the words freedom or liberty, they essentially mean the same thing. Psalm 119, verse 44 to 45. The word of God says, I will keep your law continually forever and ever. I will walk at liberty for I seek your precepts. You know, generally speaking, the concept of freedom has resonated deeply within the hearts of mind, minds of individuals from all walks of life. It has been a constant source of inspiration and driving force behind many great books and movies, including works within Christian literature. Stories that tap into the desire of freedom are emotionally deep, and they often depict characters who are strongly against oppressions, injustice, or other form of confinement. These characters may be fighting for their own freedom, or for the freedom of others, and their struggle can be both heroic and inspiring. Why is freedom such a timeless theme in storytelling that resonates with readers and viewers? Now, some people may say it is because freedom is a fundamental human value that is universally desired and, and cherished. It is a value that transcends culture, social boundary and resonate with people of all ages and backgrounds. Well, there are some truths in those statements, but there is an issue. Though it is a value that humans universally desire, people cannot give a clear definition of what freedom truly is. Some people might say freedom can be manifested in democracy, abolishing slavery, religious freedom, or express free thinking through arts and the literature. They might be right because all their answers can be traced back through human historical events. For example, between 14th century to 17th century, the Renaissance 
was a cultural and intellectual revival in Europe that celebrated human creativity and freedom. It promoted rediscovery of classic philosophy, literature, and art. 19th century, abolishing of slavery. 19th century to 20th century, the women's savage movement fought for women's right to vote. 1989, the fall of Berlin Wall symbolized the end of the Cold War divisions between East and West Germany and the reunifications of the country. It represents a significant shift towards a freedom and democracy in Europe. Then some recent civil rights movements, women's liberation movement, it ceased to change the prevailing attitude towards women's body and the reproductive rights. LGBTQ plus rights movement, it aims to push their rights including the redefinition of marriage and protection against discrimination based on sexual orientations and gender identity. I hope you do see the issues here. If we only tie the aspiration nature of the liberty to historical and cultural significance, or personal and collective identity, then the idea of freedom whether it is biblical or not, it may merely be a byproduct of what society and the culture produce. It is just a matter of time before new ideology emerge, reshaping people's understanding of freedom. And that is the issue. As believers, we cannot let the world to define what freedom is. So my job for today is to help you to see the true liberty from Scripture, promised by God as such sweet, safe, desirable, and joyful liberty defined within the boundary of God's law. So the outline of the sermon today, I have three points for you to follow. First one, the biblical definitions of liberty. The second one, the desire liberty promised by God. And third one, our response. First of all, the biblical definition of liberty. Have a look at verse 45. And I will walk at liberty. Here it appears that the psalmist is asserting his freedom. And let me pose a question to you. Are we really free? And if we consider the claim made by psalmist to be true, then in what sense is he asserting his freedom. So how about let us begin with the first questions. Are we really free? Now, some people may consider, isn't this obvious? Of course we are free. We have free thinking, free motion, and no one forced me to raise my arm and I just do it, right? Now, to answer these questions, it depends on which angle you are aiming at. Let me give you the most commonly accepted understanding of freedom in dictionary. So here's the definition. Listen to this. First one, the quality or state of being free, such as the absence of necessity, coercion, or constraint in choice or action. The second one, liberation from slavery or restraint or the power of another. And the third one, having political rights. Now that's what people will usually understand the freedom is. 
And the synonyms like autonomy, self-government, self-ruling, independent, sovereignty. Now we all understand these synonyms can be used to describe someone's characters in human's turn. However, if we want to be precise, these synonyms do not belong to creatures, but to God alone. Now, God alone can be declared as self-ruling, independent, sovereignty. Listen to 1 Timothy chapter 3, 15 to 16. He, Jesus, who is the blessed and the only sovereign, the King of kings and the law of Lord, who alone possess immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see. Colossians 1, 16 to 17. For by him, all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, ruler or authority. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. No one can truly be considered self-ruling independent sovereignty except for the triune God. For God is the creator of everything and all things are created for his purpose and glory. He is also the super glue that holds everything together. Now the reasons we have certain level of autonomous and independent, we can choose good and evil. By the way, that's the definition of free moral agent is because we are made by the image of God. God made us free moral agent and give us the willpower to choose, although it is restricted or limited. So to answer my earlier questions, are we really free? The answer is we are indeed a free moral agent with the ability to make choices. However, it is important to recognize that our choices are influenced by a very important factor. And this brings me to the next questions. As moral agents, do we possess the ability to choose what is right? To answer these questions, let me bring some great theologians from the past. Jonathan Edwards, in his work of Freedom of the Will, he contributed a principle called the strongest motive. And basically, it means we are free to choose, but our choices are always influenced by the strongest motive we have at the given moment. And sometimes those choices and decisions are made quickly, such as sitting on a chair or raising your arm, and we are not always carefully analyze every single motive when making a decision. But there is a reason behind every decision we make, and sometimes a decision is a mixture of multiple motives that, which, that, that whichever the strongest motive is, it ultimately determines our choice at the particular moment. Now, let us consider the state of fallen humanity as described in the Bible. Romans 3.12 There is none who does good. There is not even one. Isaiah 64, 6, for all of us have become like one who is unclean, for all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. Now, think about this description 
of men from these two verses. Theologians call it total depravity. The reason men in his fallen state cannot do good, even his best deeds, are like a fusy fusy rag, is because every part of the faculty, his mind, his affections, his will, are tainted by sin. And let me give you analogies to help you understand man's total depravity. Imagine you went on hiking, expecting an easy journey, but it turns out a more challenging than you thought. As you face a tough climb and the blazing sun is scorching you, you ran out of water very quickly, and you knew you had to find a source of water soon. As you search desperately for a water source, suddenly your eyes caught a glimpse of something, a shimmering in the distance. You ran as fast as you could and soon found that you were standing before a crystal clear and pure stream. As just you were about to bend your knee and drink from it, you heard a loud voice from behind saying, Stop drinking it! You turned around and saw someone approaching you. Curious, you asked him, Why can't I drink this stream? Look how crystal and pure it is. And the man pointed at the source of stream. And you know this, there was a dead animal with internal organ exposed. And brothers and sisters, this is the state of the fallen man. Even the best of our religious act, like a pure stream, but may appear clean on the outside, but they are polluted by sin. Therefore, when a fallen man are free to choose anything, guess what will happen? It will be determined the strongest motive which is contaminated by sin. John Calvin said something similar. The will is so utterly enslaved to sin that cannot even move good on its own. Then someone perhaps may say, uh, you know, I, I get it. I get it now. As a fallen man, we are in the bondage of sin. But what about our, after our conversion? Are we free? Didn't our Lord himself in John 8, 36, So if Son set you free, you will be free indeed. Very well. When we read a scripture like that, we need also looking into other scriptures to see what our Lord really meant when he said, you will be free indeed. For instance, Romans chapter 1, 1, Paul a slave of Christ. James 1.1, James, a slave of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 1.1, Simon Peter, a bond slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. Jude 1, Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ. Now, what is a repeated title that also of the New Testament call themselves in all these verses? The slave of Christ. But, but Christ said to the believer, we are free indeed. So how can this God, who is absolutely sovereign, who rule us inwardly, our mind, our attitude, our decision-making, our emotion, who rule us outwardly, our positions, our time, our wealth, in everything, in everywhere, but at the same time, we are free. 
So let us try to answer this question in my second point. The desire freedoms promised by God. Have a look at the text again, verse 45. And I will walk at liberty, for I seek your precepts. Now, I want you to think with me what the psalmist celebrated here. He said, I will walk at liberty. And or in Hebrew language, we can also say, I will walk in a wide open place, for I seek your precepts. And I also have a look at the preceding verse. I will keep your law continually forever and ever. Now, if you are familiar with Psalm 119, you will know this, the repeated use of the synonyms like God's law, precepts, commandments. And these synonyms are used throughout the entire psalm. Each of these synonyms carry its own flavor, but share a similar meaning, which is the word of God. These words are wound through the entire psalm, which happens to be the longest psalm in the Bible. Every time the author mentions this word, it is connected with his deep love and affections for the word of God. In verse 45 and 44, we see the author's desire to keep laws continually forever and ever. And to seek after God's precepts, do you remember the questions I posed earlier? In what sense is the psalmist is claiming to be free? The answer is in verse 45. That is, by seeking and keeping the commandments of God is his liberty. Now think with me, brothers and sisters. Think about the psalm's spiritual condition before his conversion. Every sin. Every transgression of the law of God was a flesh chain of bondage for him. He was chained in the dark dungeon, tied, held under the tyranny of the cruel master, the devil, until Christ brought him out from the dungeon, broke his chain, and led him into the wide open place. For the first time, his eyes were now open to such a wide open place such freedom and such liberty, yet he didn't walk aimlessly without purpose. You know, Charles Bridge, a Puritan, in his commentary of this verse said, liberty is the fruit of God's mercy to our soul, not the liberty of sin to do what we please, but of holiness to do what we ought. The one, the iron bondage of our own will, the other, easy yoke of God's of love. To the psalmist, the way of the Lord is the king's highway of liberty. The precept of the Lord was not forced upon him, nor was he burdened, for he sought after them. More to be desired than gold, more than fine gold, sweeter than honey, and then honeycomb. Now, brother, sister, is this the liberty that we have in our minds. And how many of us will connect our liberty with our diligent seeking after God? You know, I think this is what Christians tend to say, our work with God. We say, I don't always feel like I'm on the mountaintop in the springtime. Even during those times, 
I hesitate to claim that I walk in liberty, let alone when I'm in the valley or in the winter time. I feel I have moved away from the harsh imprisonment to a more bearable imprisonment. It is right. But in verse 45, the reason it is not a religious wishful thinking, but a fact, it is because there is something unique about the rule of Jesus Christ. Though it touches every aspect of our life as the absolute rule of Christ, but it is remarkable reality that His absolute rule brings about perfect freedom. Now, with the rest of my times, I want to give you five elements of the true liberty that described in the Bible. The first element is safety within the rule of Christ. True liberty must encompass a sense of security. Psalm 18, verse 2, God is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the home of my salvation, my stronghold. And continuing in verse 19, we read, God brought him forth into a broad place. Now, just like the author of Psalm 119, verse 45, celebrate his liberty, in Psalm 18, David feels safe because God is his rock, fortress, deliverer, his shield. It is this omnipotent God brought him forth in a wide open place and set him free. Therefore, true liberty must include safety. If we are not spiritually safe, then we cannot experience freedom. Just as we are not physically safe, then we are not free. Let me give you an example. Imagine those of you who have young children who are invited to a birthday party. Now, at the backyard of the, the house, there are numerous activities prepared, a jumping castle, zip line, and a tree house. And as soon as you let your children loose, they just run to the activity to their heart contain. However, everything changed when some kids spot a brown snake at the back of the house. Can you guess what will happen to those kids? Despite not being physically restrained or confined, they become paralyzed with fear because no, they no longer feel safe. But we know what the word of God says to his people, Psalm 23, verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of the death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. And think about, brother, sister, about our, our dwelling place in eternity, eternity, New heaven and new earth. There'll be no more tears, no more pains, no more sorrow, complete freedom and safe because all the evil things will be outside the gates. Amen? And so that's the first one. Without safety, there's no true liberty. The second element of the true liberty is provision. Now in Psalm 119, 105, it says, your word is a land to my feet and a lie to my path. Just as the journals of Israel were guided by the pillow of cloud by day and the pillow of the fire by night, we too 
will be well provided for. God will take care of our physical needs, feeding, freeing us, worrying and anxiety. Moreover, He will also meet our spiritual needs, illuminating our path through His Word. As what we just read, His Word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And that is true liberty. Let me give you another illustration. Many years ago, I visited Japan with my wife, walking along a park at central Tokyo. Then I noticed a homeless man passing by. I was very surprised. Seeing a homeless man in central Tokyo was very rare at the time. I asked my friends, why does this individual choose to be homeless, despite the abundance of job opportunities in Japan? The answer was they wanted freedom. But their freedom was dependent on some level of financial support from the government. Now imagine another homeless man who chooses not to rely on government assistance. He decides to travel, to explore various places, but he doesn't even have the money to buy a ticket or a meal. Is he truly free? Not really, because poverty restricts him and he lacks a basic necessities. Therefore, true liberty must include provision, and Christ not only will bring us to the safe place, He will also lead us in every step of our ways. Think about it. We have the Word of God as our directions in the light. We have His never-ending grace, grace upon grace. John 1.16, For of His fullness we have all received and grace upon grace. And when we are off the path, it is His grace safely bring us back to the path. When we're facing trial and distress, it is His grace comfort us and make a room for us to strive through. We also have the ordinary means of grace, along with the provision like-minded brothers and sisters in the local church to help us stay focused on God. So through Christ, we have everything we need. One of the reasons the psalmist can celebrate, I will walk in liberty, is because he was saved and well provided for. Let me give you a third element that is essential to the true liberty. That is peace. Romans chapter 8 Verse 1 and 2, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. Why true liberty must include peace? Because true liberty frees us from guilt, shame, frees us from the law of sin and death. Again, another illustration. In many Asian cultures, there is this Buddhist memorial service called Water Child Memorial Service, which started in Japan. It meant to help parents who have experienced different types of pregnancy loss. And this service has become more popular in the last 15 years because the increasing number of abortions happening. For my own research, I find participating in such service isn't cheap. And some people choose to do it every year. And you might ask, why do they 
take part in this memorial service? Well, the answer is because the guilt they feel. Their conscience keep bothering them. They may appear to living a normal life, free to do the things they desire, such as go on holiday, visiting place they want to see, dining at favorite restaurant. However, every time they see babies on the street, see infants at family gathering or among friends, their conscience accuse them and keep haunting them. So they are not truly free because the shame and guilt they have done. But in the rule of Christ, believer can say with confidence and with joy, "We are free because what Christ has done on the cross." Every time our conscience accuses us of the past and present sin, and every time the devil whispers us and causes us to despair, we can look up on the cross and point ourselves to the cross. It is finished. It is where the place we can say we are in peace with God, being free from guilt and shame. Listen to Psalm 103:11. For as high as the heaven are above the earth, the earth, so great is His loving kindness towards those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgression from us. How far is the east from the west? That's infinite. And what a beautiful truth that we can reflect upon: that infinite, holy, righteous of God, remember our sins no more, and grant us peace through His Son. Amen. And now let me give you a fourth element of the true liberty. That is. The true, the rule of Christ, it must bring us back to the very purpose for which we are were created. In other words, it fits our new nature. Romans chapter six, seventeen to eighteen, we read, "But thanks be to God that though you were slave of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed, and having been free from sin." You became slave of righteousness. In that new nature, we became slave of righteousness. Once again, let me give you an illustrations to help you understand. Consider every living creatures that God has created. Each possess its new, unique nature. A fish have its new nature.、Um, sorry, a fish has its new nature. A bird has new. Nature. Every creeping thing on earth has their nature. Now, if you were place them in an environment that goes against their design, now if you were, it won't be free. Just because they are fish called flying fish, they can fly above the sea if they have a good wing support. But it doesn't mean they can survive in the air like a bird. It will die because it's not their nature. Now let's relate this to ourselves. In our new nature, we have a new heart and a new desire. So pursuing God becomes the very purpose for which God has recreated us. Before our regeneration, we did not possess a na- nature enabling to do good because we were slave or sin. But now, God has granted us a new nature, enable us to go- do good. 
When Paul said, you become slave of righteousness, he didn't mean we would continue living in the same way when we were under the old master, cruelty, darkness, evil, with the wage of our sin being the eternal death. In our new nature, being slave of righteousness means safety, provision, peace, and more importantly, Pursuing righteousness because something we love to do. And that brings to my fifth element. That is the true liberty must include something we truly love to do. And personally, I believe this is the most important element in our walk with God. You probably heard many times from this pulpit, from our elders, about the Lordship of Christ. And because the Lordship of Christ, it means this. Our time is no longer ours. It becomes His time. Our skills are no longer ours. They are now used for His glory. Our money, our possessions are no longer ours. They are now His possessions. No one forced us to do this thing, to transfer all that we have to all that He is. We do it because we love to do them and because we love God, right? Now, beloved, think about it. Why do you come to the Lord's Day? Why do you meet other saints and talk about the things of God? Why do you keep the commandments of God? I pray deep down in your heart, your answer will be, because I love Him. Because of that love, we are doing the things we love the most. And that is the true liberty. It may not be perfect. We know that. It is not based on our feeling. But our commitment, our endeavor to bring every thought in captivity to the obedience of Christ. And that is our liberty. St. Augustine says something beautiful. Love your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Then do whatever you want to do. And I believe that is the ultimately of Christian liberty. And finally, let me move to my last point, our response. So how shall we respond to such desire, freedom, promised by God from these five elements? Let me read verse 45 again. And I will walk at liberty, for I seek your precepts. Brothers and sisters, now that we know the meaning of the true liberty, I don't think we will say the psalmist is exaggerating. No, because this is a fact. It is real. It's like every new chain by which we bind ourselves to the Lord make us free. The more we experience the true liberty, the more we yearning for more. Like the psalmist says later on, look with me in verse 47. I shall delight your commandments which I love. And he said again, and almost lose the way of expression, now wants to embrace the object of his desire with both hands. In verse 48, I shall lift my hands to your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your status. But the questions left to all of, all of us is this, how diligent are we? in seeking after God's precepts. How much effort we take in disciplining ourselves 
in experiencing the true liberty, if the people of this world know to discipline themselves for their own ambitions, their own success, then shouldn't believers discipline themselves for a pure reason? Because we love Him. First John 5.3 For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. And to my brothers and sisters, and especially to those faint-hearted among us, I know on this side of eternity, we will never experience true liberty perfectly. I also know that we do not always live in a springtime or the top of the mountain where we so free to do the things we love, seeking after Him, you know, hunger and thirsty for righteousness. We have our spring, winter time, trials, unpleasant illnesses that wear us down. And during those times, the true liberty we experienced before may seem to vanish like a mist, right? And that's why we need one another to walk along with us on this journey, to behold our God together as we race this race, uh, run this race. Hebrews 12.1 Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witness surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which also entangled us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. You know, maybe another thing we can also do is to remind our, ourselves of the gospel through the means of grace through one another. In verse 41, May your loving kindness also come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your word. Brother, sister, just like unbelievers need the gospel, we shall also need more crave for the gospel to remind us of God's love, His kindness, His salvation according to His unchanging word. Preach the gospel to yourself. Do not let that go. Preach the gospel to your own soul to remind yourself that true liberty you have now is only because the infinite cost of God's Son at which our liberty was purchased. Preach it until your heart is warmed. Preach the gospel to one another. May God's loving kindness come to us, especially in the times when our spiritual work are in the bottom of the valley. At the same time, I will also ask you to examine yourself. If you have never experienced these five elements of the true liberty that we discussed earlier, if the commandments of God feel burdensome to you, you may not say it, people may not know it, but you know what motivates you to do what you do is not from the love of God then you need to ask yourself, am I truly born again? Is religious to you, is just a facade to approve others how piety you are without truly experiencing the love of Christ? And, and finally, to my unbelieving friends, when our Lord says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, comes to me, 
all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will be fine. Rest for your soul. For my yoke is light and easy. And my burden is light. His invitation is still sending you out today. For those of you who are weary and heavy laden, ask your soul, is it worthy to seek the approval of man but lost your soul of eternity? Is it worth to achieve your dream of life, to obtain the certain level of status in this world but lose your soul for eternity? Is it worth to trust your own ways and hope that you can enter heaven when you can have the assurance of faith through Jesus now? He alone is worthy to lead you to a place of safety, to provide you and give you peace and to give you a new nature to do the things you truly love to do. Come to Jesus, my friends. He will give you eternal rest. And it is true, His yoke is easy and His burden is light. Amen? Let's, let's pray. Oh, Lord, Lord, what a beautiful thing to truly understand the liberty you promised in your word. As our law says, if the Son sets us free and we will be free indeed, Lord, it is the first time we open our eyes and being led by you. Our chain was broken and first time we see like the psalmist, we are in a wide open place. We lead into a place full of water, refreshment, joy, peace, provision. And something, Lord, you cause us to be born again and give a new nature, a new heart. And, and all of a sudden, all these things did not become a burden song. But we love to do these things in the rule of Christ. Oh, Father, I pray, Lord, you will walk among us. Because the word is talking about freedom in a so, such crazy way. They want free them to do whatever they want to do. But such beautiful things as a believer to meditate upon, that we are free to seek after you, to yearn for you. And the psalm says, your nearness is our good. So draw yourself near to us, Lord, and walk among us. Touch the soul of the unbeliever and, and let them to sink. They are still in the bondage of sin, but set, God will set them free because of Christ. Because of Christ. So Father, help us. Help us. In Jesus' name we pray.